0: You're listening to episode 94 of Chirps, a St. Louis Cardinals podcast for Birds on the Black. I'm Tara. He's Alex. And after an emotional week for the St. Louis Cardinals, the 2020 season has officially come to an end. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the show. Just a week after we welcomed you to the first postseason episode of the show, we're now welcoming you to the season wrap up episode of the show as the Cardinals have been eliminated from the 2020 postseason and all of its wild and wonderful chaos. I'm Tara Wellman with you as usual, and joining me also as usual, Alex Crissafoli. Alex, we're a few days removed now from the end of 2020 as far as baseball is concerned for the Cardinals. We didn't think the season was ever actually going to get started but it has finally ended at least for the St. Louis Cardinals. Are you the kind of baseball fan who will watch the rest of the postseason and just sort of casually enjoy it? Or do you kind of close the book on baseball once the Cardinals are out of it?
1: First off, I, I wanted to say when you were talking, I, I-, I immediately thought of that Chris Rock quote, uh, grand opening, grand closing. Cause mm-hmm. uh, you know, like you said mm-hmm. last week at this point, we were getting ready for the uh, Cardinals postseason and here we are. Uh, I am more of the former. Uh, I I will still pay attention. This year, a little less so uh, because of all the reasons we've already talked about for um, many, many times, which is that it's just a weird season in general. There's a lot going on, all that. But no, I'm still going to pay attention. And especially the World Series, I'll probably watch every game.
0: Do you have a team in particular that is still in it that is most interesting to you or is it just kind of the competition itself
1: no i, I i'm never like i always have to have like a good guy in a back. Okay, know <laughs> i always yep. need to have, have a rooting interest i'm going i think for the padres and tommy fam and uh piscotti although i don't think he's really seeing a ton of playing time although i haven't watched a single game in that series so far so maybe i'm wrong um in the a's uh, that's kind of where my allegiance lie right now. You know, that will all, I'm sure, be adjusted as time goes on. But I think that's where I am. I like it. I like
0: it. There are always the standbys like the Dodgers and the Yankees that all the media outlets want to make it to the World Series. There are some interesting storylines, though. I mean, whether it's the Astros and the series with the A's or the Dodgers-Padres thing. Um, I mean, even the Marlins-Braves series is kind of interesting just because the Braves are kind of... Uh, more uh, 2020 flashy and the Marlins are kind of just scrappy and figuring out how to win, and so there are a lot of interesting stories to follow. But I think I'm like you; I I prefer to watch when I have some sort of interest in who wins and who loses. Um, but I I haven't watched a ton of it uh, in the last couple of days to to really dive into any of those series too much. But lots of baseball yet to be had. The Cardinals are on the outside looking in, and. Adam Wainwright quite literally on the outside, but in the stadium calling the game with the Marlins and the Braves today on F- on FS1, which was surprising in terms of, oh, well, that was an unexpected announcement, but not surprising is that Adam Wainwright's really good on television. <laughs> I don't know if you had a chance to see or hear any of it, but that man has a future right in that seat. If he wants it, that's for
1: sure. I didn't see any of the game because it was kind of like during the day. Yeah, right? it was, a, it was an early yeah. game, yeah. Yeah, so I, I wasn't able to watch. I did see that little back and forth he had with David Ortiz, which was really funny. I think that was pregame. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but no, that doesn't shock. I, I'm happy to hear that he did a good job, and that also does not shock me at all. Now,
0: he was asked on air if he wanted to make an announcement about what he was going to do next season. No What did he say? And he said... I will either be pitching or I will be doing this. (laughs) So he still didn't narrow it down at all. Other than that's the first time I've heard him say that he actually had an interest in doing the TV thing. So I mean, more power to him if he wants Uh, to do that.
1: All right. I'm probably very much overstepping my bounds here. And this is probably something, (laughs) something I shouldn't say, but, uh, Wonder if his wife's like, "Hey, uh, we have five kids. Uh, you know." <laughs> Hold on a second. You wanna, yeah,
0: yeah. Come on. She's she's probably thinking, "I've waited a long time for you to retire, no, and no, now you're going like, to be gone again all the time." <laughs> know. Uh, you know, not, maybe not, maybe after being together so much during quarantine, she's like, "Please get out of yeah, my house."
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, that could be. It's not easy to to immediately stop working either, as yeah, we've seen with so many true. athletes before. So.
0: Uh, I don't know. I don't know what he'll end up doing. Of course, I've made it very uh, clear. I think that I would love to see him back with the Cardinals, mostly because I would hate to see him in any other uniform, as would be the same for Yadier Molina. And we have a lot of time to talk about that. We'll talk about a little bit of those things as we go along this uh, on this episode of the show, as well as throughout the offseason. But before we get to kind of the breakdown of this season, wrapping things up, on the baseball side of things, you know, it was very, very quick after that last game ended for the Cardinals. They lost the series um, in that wild card round, and then almost immediately, the news broke about Bob Gibson. And again, having had a little bit of time to process, a little bit of time to see people's reactions. Of course, in the moment, there are pictures and video going around of of the Cardinals players particularly Yadier Molina and Jack Flaherty, just incredibly emotional in trying to talk about anything after that game. Man, it's been a a rough summer in terms of those guys who are so valuable to the organization from a legacy standpoint, um, you know, battling health issues uh, up until the point of passing away and, and leaving that legacy uh, without their presence as well. So I, I would be remiss to go too much further without just stopping and acknowledging Bob Gibson and the things that he meant to this organization and to the players individually. Uh, Alex, I don't know if there's anything specific you would like to say on the subject of Bob Gibson, but this is certainly the yeah. the place to do it. I think.
1: Yeah, uh, there is. And I, I hope uh, this doesn't come out clumsy just because, you know, he he deserves so much better than that. But yeah, this one hit hard, I thought. Uh, you know, um, right when I heard the news, and I, I heard it about an hour after everyone else, because after the game ended, I kind of just uh, sh- shut things down and, and I wasn't looking at my phone or and I didn't have the TV on or anything. And then I found out and I immediately just thought about the fact that uh, his book – from ghetto to glory was the first like big book I ever read in the third grade. And I, then I thought about how, like, I actually got the chance to meet him. I think when I was in the fifth grade and I went to like this old timers, uh, event and he was the keynote speaker and I got his autograph on a baseball. And I, you know, I started to think like, you know, it's kind of selfish to like, think of it that way where it's like centered around like me, because obviously this is not about me, but, I started seeing all these other Cardinals fans on Twitter, and they had a very similar reaction, um, which is like their own personal thoughts about him or their own personal interaction with him. And, you know, I kind of thought like, you know, I guess it kind of is about us in a way because, you know, we revered him. You know, like, like whether you are a Cardinals fan who was lucky enough and old enough to see him play or uh, people like us who uh, didn't see him play, but have been reading the stories about him for years, or whether you're like a young Cardinals fan who's just now like getting into baseball, like we revered this man, we love this man. And I think people like him, especially him, are the reason why we love this franchise so much. You know, it's like, this team, this franchise is built on the back of not just like great baseball players, but like great people in him, especially. And I think what I always appreciated about him, and and I think that's why we were always so defensive when people, you know, especially a couple years ago, when it was like reaching the height of just like, uh, (laughs) making fun of Cardinals, you know, like, like, I think that's one of the reasons why we're so defensive about that stuff, because we love these people in this team so much. Mm, and like, yeah. I think what I always appreciated about him is that he was such a, appear to be such a deep thinker and such a principled person, but he was still accessible. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. he was still in the booth. He was still, you know, you would hear about him cracking jokes with people. Um, he, he was not someone who, lived like a, a a recluse, um like like so often people do who who kind of have those attributes. Uh and he did all that while staying as true to oneself as one possibly could. Like I, I can't imagine he was never afraid to speak up about anything. And I I could almost guarantee not once did the cardinal say, hey, stop doing that. Because mm, yeah. I had the feeling had they done that, he would have told them <laughs> Where they, they, they shove it, you know you know <laughs> what I mean? He would not tolerate that for a second. And yeah, it, it just, this one was tough. And I'm, I'm really glad I read that book when I did. And I'll tell you why, because it's, it's a very interesting book. And it aged very well from what I remember, because there was a lot of stuff about social justice in that book, in the civil rights era. And, you know, he, he was right in the thick of it all you know, with Lou Alcinder and Muhammad Ali and other other people back in the day who were doing similar things like he was. And I'm very glad that was my first impression of him because I, I'd never heard of him before I, I found that book in the school library. I just happened to see a cardinal staring back at me and I was like, You know, because my parents weren't Cardinals fans, so they weren't, you know, telling me, Mm, you know, since I was born, you know, about Bob Gibson and stuff like that. I just saw a Cardinal on the cover. I was like, well, this looks good, you know. So I I got it and read it, and it was a fascinating book. And I'm really glad that was my first impression of him because otherwise it could have been like my first impression of Bob Gibson could have been kind of that almost old wives tale, which is that he just was a pitcher who threw at batters and Mm -hmm, was like a mean guy. when. He was so much more complex than that, and and the part about throwing at batters isn't even that true. You know what I mean? So,
0: or that rare for the era in which he pitched. Yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. (laughs) And and his intent was never like I'm out, I'm out here to throw batters. No, his intent was he didn't want them to be able to hit a slider. That you know, so he wanted them not on top of the plate. Uh, And so I'm very happy that was my first impression of him because it always, anytime I saw him. It, that was, you know, kind of the lens I saw him through, and it just really stinks that, you know, we didn't get to see an opening day with him and Lou. Um, it stinks that we're not going to probably get to see a really nice public send off and eulogy like like Stan usual got, um, just because of the current time period we are living in, and it really does kind of feel like Ozzy's the last of those guys who we're just in awe of. And that's no offense to guys like Ted Simmons and Bruce Suter, but you know what I mean, right? Like yeah. Those guys aren't quite on the same pedestal as I think we had Stan and Red and uh, obviously Bob and, and who else. Uh, and Ozzy, I, I think, is is up there mm-hmm. or close to being up there with those guys. And wow, in just two years now, we lost three of those guys. Stretch it back seven or eight years, and we lost four of those guys. So... Yeah, it's it's not going to quite be the same anymore, not seeing him out there. So it's, you know, I, I, I know I just said a lot, but yeah, it's a bummer. I was sad in the way, I guess the only way you can be sad about someone you didn't know and who was just a public figure who lived a complete and full life, but it still makes you sad anyway.
0: Yeah, and I think a couple of things that I was thinking as you were t- talking there. One, I think the the story about... Bob Gibson seeking out Jack Flaherty is one that to me says so much about him as a person, as a competitor, as someone who wanted to pass that information on. You know, a lot of times, as you said, sometimes a a guy at at that level kind of just rides off into the sunset and then they live their own life and they're, they're always on that pedestal for what they did, but it doesn't necessarily translate into... Passing that on or reaching back and and helping someone else um, climb that ladder, especially not from the perspective of them being the ones to seek that out. You know, a lot of people will answer questions or offer to give advice if you inquire of them. <laughs> but to be the one that that said, hey, I want to get in touch with this Jack Flaherty guy. Um, to me, it says a lot about Jack, but it also says a lot about Bob Gibson and the way that he still viewed the game and his role in it, which is, I think, what in some ways makes him, makes Ozzy, makes Red, uh, makes Lou Brock, even in his own right, those guys so Unique in their relationship to the game and to the city and to the organization. And I was, I've been trying to think this week if it was just a, a product of the times and how kind of romanticized baseball was in that era, or if it was just those players and that group that created this sort of magical connection, which sounds like a strange way to say it, but it is. It's so unique that this connection that they had with the city, with the fan base, would span so many generations. Because you're right. I never watched Bob Gibson pitch. And yet, if you ask me, who the best pitcher for the Cardinals? Is. I mean, everybody knows Bob Gibson, right? Without even thinking about it. And there's this this aura about who they were and what they did that hasn't been diminished over time, which is something really special. And I think in part, it's because they were always around to some extent. And that's the other thing I was thinking is that this would have been hard to deal with, particularly for those players Anytime, any year, right? But there's so much weight to the fact that they didn't get to have him around as much at spring training because spring training got cut so short. They didn't get to have him around the ballpark. They didn't get to have opening day. They didn't get to have that face-to-face interaction with him. Yes, because of... The pandemic and the circumstances surrounding the season, but secondarily because of his own health conditions and sort of that same feeling of knowing that someone's not okay and also knowing you can't go see them, you can't be around them, you can't hear f- their voice uh, while they're going through something, that all just makes it so much heavier and you know not to bring this down except to say man the the emotions that you saw from people reacting to that news one, it was so fresh that there was no other way to react than just that sincere emotion. But it says so much about the relationship that he had with guys from all different generations, right? There's Jack Flaherty, who's at the very beginning stages of his career. And there's Yadier Molina, who by all accounts is this current team's version of that to some extent, who who will be a, a legacy type player 20 years from now when people look back at this team, maybe not with that same sort of romanticized baseball thing that was of the Bob Gibson era. But um, you know, I think he has that, that legacy building in his own right. So to see that gap spanned by who Bob Gibson was and the influence he had on so many people inside the organization. And then to realize like you were saying that we all feel connected to who he was and how he impacted the world around him it's just, it's special to see that. And it's, I think more rare than, um, we maybe even realize for someone to have that kind of an influence on the world around them. And yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be different. It's going to be hard to not see him around, um, when, when they get back to baseball next spring and hopefully they all have a chance to, um, you know, kind of process that and and deal with that and grieve that. And I assume the Cardinals will do something in uh, attempts to, to honor Bob Gibson when they can perhaps have fans back in the stadium or when they can put something together that allows for a little bit more of a gathering or whatever it is. And um, that's going to be an emotional one. That's for sure.
1: Mm -hmm. No doubt.
0: So that was the larger news as the season wrapped up for the St. Louis Cardinals, but the season did end and this is a podcast about the St. Louis Cardinals. So to transition into talking about this team a little bit, I asked right before we went on the air on Twitter, um, what the biggest takeaway from the season was and this is i haven't seen these most of these so i'm just going to scroll through here and read a couple (laughs) and see obviously
1: i haven't seen them either see what we get here
0: so just the the biggest takeaways from the 2020 season uh okay rebecca said the holes in our offense or lack thereof were glaringly obvious Embarrassingly obvious. Pitching was awesome, even better when we get everyone back. But to be a legit contender, we need help at the top and the bottom of innings. Baseball, at least for the Cardinals, is hard enough without also having to manage a pandemic and a compressed schedule. That said, it felt more like a slog than the sprint we were promised. That's interesting. Um <laughs> they're horrible at picking outfielders, hopefully Carlson excluded. That seems fair, especially with what Randy Rosarena is doing in the playoffs so yeah. far. Uh, talent evaluation might be an issue. Those that are still here and those that aren't pitching and defense check hitting has to be addressed. Just awful and bring back Yachty and Wayno internal options probably shouldn't have been the only option. That's also seems pretty accurate. Uh, losing Ozuna seemed like a big hole to fill in the off season it was. They needed more bats in the lineup. Okay, we can come back to these a little bit more if we have time at the end, but I do want to mention on that note about Ozuna and a bat in the the lineup. What do we make at this point of the offense for the Cardinals? Because we kind of joked about it, but it was the plan at the beginning of the season to just get better by being better. And I don't know that that really worked, but I also don't know that adding one more bat into the lineup would have changed the the dynamic that much do you think that this is a a larger problem than just adding some more pieces to the mix or is that really what they need to focus on at this point
1: well i guess i suppose it depends on what bat we're talking about adding but i I think back to this past off season and the it's hard to think of uh a bat that was out there that would completely change the offense's identity on its own. Uh, That said, this offense looked exactly like you would expect an offense last year's offense to look like if you took out Marcelo Zuna, (laughs) you know what I mean? (laughs) Which is uh, that a, you know, just a bad offense, which is exactly what it was. It was a bad offense. They did not score enough runs. They did not hit for enough power. We've said it a million times. I don't need to say it again. But they were boring. Uh, they did other things well, and that was enough to get them to uh, the postseason in a crazy year such as this one. Uh, it won't be enough next year, I don't think. So I don't. Yeah, I. I mean, I don't know how else to sum it up other than that.
0: Yeah. Uh, one other one that I'm just seeing here says Tyler O'Neill was apparently not good enough for the postseason, but an over everything Harrison Bader was. <laughs> Which, oh boy, what, that's,
1: was Vader. Was Vader really oh for I everything? I'm trying to remember. I know. Obviously I know he was in the first game. game
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, I admittedly was working during the second and third game, so I wasn't watching them. So I would have to oh check the box score. But
1: I, I have a question for you that I just thought of. Sure. Uh, would you be how differently would we be looking at this if the last if game two was game three and game three was game two? Hmm. I mean, one, it would be it would be crushing. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, like, like would if if, if if a winner take all game played out like that. And that's one thing you can preach about the Cardinals is typically. When they're on the verge of elimination, they will let you know early on we are not winning this game. <laughs> yeah, are, not okay. only are we not winning this game, we're not scoring runs, right. man. Right, so like, we're it's gonna not be competitive. We're
0: gonna face I a guess, bullpen that has no business pitching in this game and score no runs.
1: <laughs> I guess the Ishikawa game is the lone exception to where it really yeah. felt like the season <laughs> ended with a total like thud of a gut punch. But what was I saying? Yeah, so like. A lot of our perception right now is colored by that last game because they obviously scored a lot of run in those first two games, but it's still true because we have we have fifty eight games that showed it was a very very poor offense, and that wasn't just like, well, you know, it was a small, you know, these fifty eight games. Like, no, you, that that plays out over one hundred sixty two games, and that offense isn't it isn't you know all of a sudden surging up the charts.
0: Yeah. Yeah, uh, I just checked. Bader did have one hit in Game Two, but okay. I, it is—I mean—they're the same kind of frustrating that they were last year, where they'll score eight or ten runs and then get shut out. And Ooh, should I
1: should I be a well actually guy to the person in your <laughs> well in your actually? I mean, you could. I won't
0: stop you. Uh, <laughs> But he did have one hit in the game where they scored nine runs. Um, but it's kind of copy and paste from last year. And look, you take Marcelo Zuna out of it. And admittedly, Marcelo Zuna wasn't spectacular last year. He had streaks where you were like, all oh, right, he's turned the corner, he's figured it out. And then he had streaks where you were like, can anybody else hit cleanup, please? And so he wasn't this version that we're seeing now of Marcelo Zuna in St. Louis. So you take him out of the lineup and expect to replace it with perhaps a Tyler O'Neill, perhaps a Dylan Carlson, and you don't quite get that. So yeah, I also, think, go ahead.
1: No, I was going to say also Harrison Bader was a decent hitter in the, in the regular season. So it, it's not as though it's, it, you know, so if, if we're arguing like, well, we should have benched him for Tyler O'Neill after he, wasn't very good for nine at bats. I mean, I don't know if we're really, you know, is that really something we want to we want to say? You know, you know what I mean. Like, no, he wasn't like, you know, it wasn't. Tyler O'Neill still brings things to the table that 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 are helpful. I, I think the problem is, and kind of goes back to what up brought up when he was with us a few weeks ago, which is that we've had just a gluttony of these outfielders. Who are good enough to play, but aren't good enough to know they absolutely have to play. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. Well, that's <laughs> that's uh, what it comes down to. I think for me in the the Bader versus O'Neill versus Lane Thomas conversation, um, and and I think there was as far as Bader versus O'Neill, the thing that I think makes it hard to process why O'Neill gets. Why Harrison Bader gets every opportunity to to succeed, and Tyler O'Neill seems to not the perfect mm-hmm. example is that he was pinch hit for after two innings defensively by Austin Dean like they pinch hit for Tyler. I don't understand why that was ever a thing, but that's where it gets a little fuzzy where you're like, wait a second, if this guy is supposed to be the you know the long term answer in left field, why can he not get consistent? at bats. And, you know, that's a a fair question to ask. I don't know that it's one that I can really speculate on the answer to, because if there was some, you know, physical thing that we weren't aware of, or if there's I I don't know, presumably they know him better than I do, (laughs) but it does make it a little bit hard to see what they're trying to do with some of these guys when they, Um, kind of build them up in, in conversation and talk about how they're just as good as any sort of trade or free agent signing, and then they don't even get on the field. So yeah, it does make it kind of that ongoing story, ongoing saga about the outfielders. And like a couple of people said, I don't know if that's talent evaluation, or if it's some sort of a hitch in the development process once they move from triple a where they're excelling to the big league level for the cardinals i don't know what that gap is but there's something that is preventing some of those young guys and it's been particularly outfielders as of late to really come into their own like we've seen with randy Rosareno, or we've seen with you know some of these other guys that have gone other places and, and found success so that makes it a little bit frustrating to say the least um as far as the pitching is concerned, how do you feel about the pitching options for the Cardinals right now? If you, if we assume that they, just for the sake of conversation, started 2021 with what they ended 2020 with, so meaning Dakota Hudson is not part of that mix because of the, the Tommy John and Adam Wainwright is. How do you know. feel about this rotation? Because I feel like, there are probably just as many question marks now as there were when the season started.
1: Well, so we'll have a 40-year-old Adam Wainwright? Yeah. 39-year-old Adam Wainwright?
0: 39 turning 40 in in the middle of the season. Uh,
1: Yeah. um, I think it uh, would be an average rotation. It would not lead the league in anything, and it would not be... uh, who's, Who's... with someone with a really bad pitching, staff. like like when the Reds were really bad, like mm, some of yeah. those rotations, they were trotting out there. It wouldn't be that. Uh, if that's the question you were asking, I don't know. Um, do you mean is there anyone we should be looking at in the off season to fill these roles, or
0: potentially? I mean, we'll obviously have some time to get into those specifics as we go throughout the winter. But it's just it's interesting to me to look at this pitching staff and realize. They're the reason that the Cardinals were able to get as far as they did for the most part, um, because the, the offense was still so hot and cold. And then to start looking at the pieces and going, OK, Jack Flaherty didn't have a great year, but I, I don't know that anyone's particularly worried about him. But you don't have Dakota Hudson. You might have Miles Michaelis back, but we don't know what he'll have to offer. We might have Adam Wainwright. We might not. Dakota Hudson's out. Uh, we saw Ponce de Leon succeed. We saw him struggle. We saw Austin Gomber come in in very limited use. They're still all the same names, right? There's still the uh-huh. the Carlos Martinez thing. What do you do with Carlos Martinez? But it doesn't necessarily feel like there's a as clear a picture as you know, maybe we thought there would have been in a season where all of these guys got a look. <laughs> they found a way to get it done, and the pitching staff was certainly the strength of this team as it normally is, but I still don't know if it's uh, settled as far as what that should look like based on the personnel that they have right now. And if the personnel that they have right now is enough to compete with those kind of more top tier teams that we are going to see now in the rest of the playoffs. It's just it's interesting to, thing to look back on based on the fact that they had so much success. <laughs> but what is it going to look like next year when they're not? playing so many seven inning double headers and they do have to actually get nine innings every time.
1: <laughs> yeah. And w- we, we can't just keep counting on a, a 39, 40 year old being our second best pitcher. Right. That said, I, I really hope he and Yachty are back next year just because I would at least like to see them go out in a full season. Um, I know that's changing the subject to something else, but,
0: but totally valid to nonetheless. Yes. Yes. <laughs> well, When you think about this season in its entirety, in its weirdness, in the challenges, in the delays, all of those things, is there, like I asked on Twitter, do you have a biggest takeaway from this season, whether it's simply the the way the season happened or the team in and of itself?
1: I really don't. I mean, I was pleasantly surprised that the playoff games felt like any other playoff game to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was, that doesn't mean I ever want to, I I want 16 teams in next year. I just mean in a vacuum when I was, when a playoff game gets tense, like it normally would, it felt the same way this year as it has in the past. Uh, So so for instance, was it the sixth inning when we gave up all those runs to the Padres? Like that was agonizing,
0: right? It was awful,
1: (laughs) you know, like, and in a way it was nice that it was awful because it felt like it felt real. Uh, So that was nice. Um, Takeaway, it's so hard to take away anything from this season other than the obvious, the offense needs to be better. It would have been nice if they uh, could you know, at least the Cubs can say we won the division. Uh, And I know Cubs fans aren't happy with their performance either in the playoffs, (laughs) nor should they be, nor should any team that represents any baseball team in the central part of America. (laughs) Um, But, uh, you know, Hey, every team was slated to play 60 games. They all had relatively the same schedule and the Cubs won the division. So I think that's a fair and square win right there. Uh, yeah, I just really don't. I mean, it went by so fast, you know, which obviously I guess, right. It was, it was 60 games. It was, it was about, uh, almost a third of what they normally play. So,
0: And I think for me, one of the things that is just lingering about this season is that it was so many games in such a short amount of time that it was almost hard to, to like stay invested (laughs) as much as normal. And I know we've talked about this a little bit in terms of, you know, whether it's just the strangeness of the season or the fact that, you know, the, the postseason was half of the league and, um, all those things made it seem like, okay, I don't have to pay attention to every single pitch of every game. And that's why I agree with you. The postseason games at least felt like they were normal and they felt like they mattered and they felt like, okay, I, I need to watch this because I actually care what happens. Um, and it was easier to digest because it was one game a day and not, you know, seven games in four and a half days or whatever we ended up with so many times a season. So I think it's just such a weird summer even if you just are talking about the baseball that it's hard for me. And I've said this before. It's hard for me to analyze anything too particularly from this season, just because small sample size, because of the number of games, because of guys, you know, how much the roster changed over the course of 58 games. Um, but I guess if I was coming up with the biggest takeaway on the baseball side, yes, the they've got to figure something out from an offensive perspective. I'm not entirely convinced that just means another bat, but I don't know what the actual answer is to that either. Um, there are more, uh, people with much higher paychecks to decide that than me, but on the, the side of, you know, 2020 and how baseball worked, um, I'm not going to lie. I didn't think we were going to get through it. I didn't think we were going to get through 60 games and they found a way to get it done. And, you know, props to the Cardinals as an organization, as a team, they faced the, the, the thing that everyone was afraid of in a COVID outbreak. And they took a lot of heat for it. And it's hard to, to know exactly where the blame falls for something like that. So it's a lot easier. And I think safer to just say, they were playing baseball in a pandemic. This was going to happen to somebody. It happened to them and they pulled it together and figured out how to make sure that they were, um, you know, where they needed to be and how they needed to be there in order to get through the the season they were able to, to schedule. So weird year, weird summer, the offense definitely isn't good enough. I think there are going to be a lot of question marks about this team and the possibility of, you know, are they good enough as is to add a few pieces or do you do something dramatic? And at least as I was talking with Daniel Shapta on uh, Gateway to Baseball Heaven this week, at least look like you're trying, <laughs> you know, at least do something different to create a different result or. We could see a lot of the similarities from the same team next year, especially with this organization that will have no problem saying, well, you know, it was a it was a short season. We can't really take too much away from it. So if we get a full season with these guys, then they'll come up with some some reason to to uh, justify the lack of change if they need to. But, um, you know, everybody needs a little break. At this point unless you're adam wainwright and you dive right into your uh, alternate career and um then hopefully they get a chance to reevaluate and i don't know i keep feeling like we say the same thing the end of every season that maybe yeah. they need to do something different and they don't uh, I was- so i don't know how much hope i have that they will do that but at this point i'm gonna say hopefully they do something different <laughs>
1: I was about to say, I think this is going to be the sixth off season where I'm thinking, all right, this is a big one, (laughs) you know? Yes. So, uh, can't, can't sit idly by. Yeah. So we'll see.
0: We will see indeed. And I think that much like the Cardinals players and organization who were more concerned with just getting them to the next game than the result, which is totally fair. And, you know, I applaud them for, for their efforts in that regard. um, we need a break too. (laughs) So before we get to the trip of the week, just wanted to throw that out there. We're going to take a little bit of a break, uh, catch our breath from the sprint slash slog that this very short season was. Watch the rest of the postseason. Not a lot's going to happen with the Cardinals until the postseason ends anyway. So we're going to take a little bit of time off to breathe and then we'll come back when there are cardinals things to talk about if something dramatic happens don't worry we will be here to talk through it with you all to uh to help you through that moment um but unless that happens uh we're gonna take a a little bit of a breather ourselves but before we do that we have to give you one last chirp of the week pre uh off-season break so alex what do you have for us this week
1: okay here we go i'm gonna leave you with a quote about bob gibson and uh As I've done before, if you want to find a nice, wonderful quote about a ball player such as Gibson, October 1964 is your go-to. And this is the last paragraph in Chapter 9, which is primarily about Gibson. And this is what David Halberstam wrote. He was a physically talented man, but what set him apart was his determination There were wrongs to avenge, the prejudice that had kept down millions of black men. All those dumb things that white people still said about black athletes, that they were gutless, that they folded in the clutch. It had to be disproved. It was the most personal of struggles. To Tim McCarver, Gibson was someone who carried an immense amount of anger with him, and with good reason. He was a young black man in a society that was just beginning to deal with centuries of prejudice. But unlike so many other angry people who were defeated by their rage, Gibson mastered his anger and turned it into a positive force, end quote. And and yeah, that's it. I've always loved that paragraph. Uh, You know, rest in peace, Bob Gibson. You were, uh, you know, he was an amazing man and he led an amazing life.
0: And we were lucky to witness the baseball part of that. And I think that's something we can all continue to cherish and to share with future generations of baseball fans as well in part because there are comments like that that will last forever in terms of how to explain Bob Gibson to uh to young baseball fans and and older baseball fans alike so thank you for that Alex and for another season of hanging out with me on this show every week and telling the people what we have to say and somehow they like it oh i did want to give one quick shout out um and i apologize i did not catch your name but i ran into a chirps fan in real life (laughs) i was uh visiting my chiropractor and someone stopped me and, and said you're you're tara wellman right i'm a big fan of your podcast so thank you to uh mysterious twitter person that i failed to uh acknowledge at least by name but thanks for that thank you for all of you listening and supporting this show thank you for giving us an opportunity to do things like talk about how much bob gibson meant and to share that with the wonderful world of baseball fans on the internet so alex um thanks it's been fun
1: yeah it's been a lot of fun so thank you
0: We'll take a few weeks to gather our thoughts and catch our breath, and then we'll be back. So don't worry. We're not going away forever, just for a little bit. So for Alex, I'm Tara. We'll talk to you next time.